G'day legends and welcome to the Thursday Sesh by Sonic Down Under. I'm your host Jared and joining me tonight are Willie and Stephen. How are you Stephen? Yeah, doing good Jared. Um, it's lovely weather here in Sydney just now. Don't let me get anybody back home sick but um, we're, um, we're just going to move into our first high temperatures of the year. So we're looking at 35 degrees by Monday. Um, so it's looking like a trip to the beach is, is forthcoming in the next couple of days. Yeah, it's pretty nice down here as well in Melbourne. So um can only imagine. How are you doing, Willie? I'm doing all right. I've got a bit of Scottish weather going on here. I had a lovely afternoon and it's now blowing a hooli out there and there's snow on the ranges and we're due rain tomorrow. So I've got a bit of Scottish weather going on over here, like so not too oh, bad. Yeah, no, no, no homesickness for you, Willie. Rain coming nah. in sideways, you're all set. There you go. Yeah. yeah, so um thanks everyone for tuning in to the podcast. We appreciate it. We'll um we're going to jump into a few little topics we've got to discuss. We'll touch on the Champions League squad, game against Dundee on the weekend, a certain international friendly that was on the other day. But before we do that, we want to just get straight into the um, the review of our Celtic players who are on international duty. So, Stephen, I'll throw to you. Yeah, so we had... Um... I had a number of players away on international duty. I think it seems as if half the squad's away. So I don't know whoever was left and how much sort of meaningful work they got done. But um, there was certainly a, a bit of a mixed bag in terms of who got game time and who didn't. Um, top of the list for game time is probably our captain, Cal McGregor, who um, we discussed this the other day on the, on the Deep Dive pod about how he played 90 minutes for Scotland against Cyprus. Um, even when they were 3-0 up, didn't take him off in the second half. They were 3-0 up the first half an hour of the game. And then he played um, against England uh, a couple of days later, and he actually did get subbed off in the 89th minute. So, yeah, thanks for that, Steve Clark. That's nice. Um, I think the, the amount of minutes he's played for the internationals is, is starting to rack up, and you've got to be a bit concerned about uh, how that's going to affect his uh, fitness and health, especially later on in the season. Um, apart from that, Abada went away to play with Israel, sent home injured. Um, as we were just discussing off air, there's news broke tonight that he might be out for four or five months, uh, which is a dreadful blow, absolutely shocking. Um, and it's just we just can't seem to buy a break just now, uh, with injuries. Uh, you get one person fit, you get another couple going out injured, so very, very, very disappointing. Um, Carol Lagerbiel, sorry, Gustav Lagerbielka, um, was away with the, the, the Swedish squad, didn't get any minutes but made it onto the bench via Estonia. Uh, Lewis Palmer was away with Honduras, didn't play in the first game against Guatemala but played the full 90 minutes against, against Granada in a 4 0 win a few days later, scored a goal which was from the penalty spot and had an assist. Kyogo and Dyson uh, away with Japan. Both were unused substitutes in the spanking of Germany. Uh, Kyogo then went on to play the full 90 against Turkey in a 4-2 win with Dyson coming off the bench at half-time. So the highlights of that game, I think Kyogo played really well. He's, he's off the ball running, was, was exceptionally good. Uh, South Korea, Oh and Yang were away with them. So Yang made his international debut. Uh, with seven minutes to go in the first game against Wales. Um, and uh, O didn't get off the bench, but the second game, O was brought on right at the end of the game and Yang was an unused sub. So the two of them didn't get many minutes at all. 
Kwon was also away with the South Korean under-23s and he played 90 minutes in both games and a 1-0 defeat to Kyrgyzstan and a 3-0 win over Myanmar. Odin Holm was away with the under-21s, uh, came on as a sub in the 7-0 pumping of San Marino in the 63rd minute and again against Latvia and another 7-0 humping. Paulo Bernardo also played 290 minutes for Portugal's under-21s against Andorra and against Belarus. And I think that's about it. Um, disappointing to see Abada coming back injured. Disappointed that, that Callum McGregor played basically two full 90 minutes uh, when he probably didn't really have to. Um, and, you know, I guess we just have to take it on the chin. Yeah, the um, another thing, like we were talking about Abada like coming back the, in the comments, Andrew Galea said, what is Abada's injury? Um, looks like it's a, um, he's torn a, done a ligament in his quad. From what I've heard. So yeah, it looks like um it's a bit of a bad one. So I'm hoping it's not the adductor. I think the groin were connecting to the quad because if that's what it is, it's probably about that the right sort of turnaround. That's usually a between four to six month injury. So I'm hoping it's not that. But looking at the recovery time, that's pretty much all I can think it could be at the moment. So fingers crossed he recovers well. And on the one thing though is we've been talking after the transfer thing that we just last having 4,000 wingers. Well, here we go. The test is going to happen now, especially over the next couple of months until we get to the next transfer window. So, yeah, um, international football. I'm going to go to you now, Willie, off the back of that rundown. Um, there was a certain team that we passed the five-minute mark. Yes, so we're not going to lose demonetization for this term on YouTube. A certain team whoring out their training ground to their English overlords. What's your thoughts on that? Oh, it's just sycophancy at its finest, isn't it? The clan base are pitching tents as they're walking up and down the street. Though in England, we're down at Murray Park. It's um, it's finally giving them something to take their attention off Mikey Beale and his million, multi-million pound misfits. Like, it is what it is. I mean, they, they've gone to a training session at Ibrox and it's just... It's been, it's basically porn to their fan base, isn't it? Like, you know what I mean? There's union drafts and English flags draped all over the place. Like, it's, um, oh, it makes you sick, really, a wee bit the way they carry on. I don't know how you guys feel about it. Like. They used to have pictures of the Queen in their locker room and all that sort yeah. of stuff as well, there. So it doesn't surprise me. But the thing is, like, okay, I can understand when, like, when you're playing in Champions League and say when Atletico Madrid comes to town or, you know, fire and order, whatever, they're going to go and train at Murray Park. I can understand that because there's not many other clubs in the city or in the area that are going to have the facilities of a certain standard that they need. So I can understand that for the club thing because we're local rivals and we'd do the same with Lennox Town or Barrowfield once we develop that. But other clubs coming in to play them in it, I understand that side of it. But when it's an international team of a country coming into your country that you live in, to play against your national team is an absolute joke to me. I could never imagine, you know, um, New Zealand coming over here and getting given, you know, Melbourne City's training things because I'll go for victory. I could never imagine that. Like that would just be odd to me. So, and then pumping up saying, oh, yeah, go to Kiwis and all this sort of stuff. I just think it's odd. So with Scotland and England, yeah, um, a bit of a doozy in my opinion. What do you think, Stephen? Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's moronic behaviour, really. Uh, when you see them referring to Scotland as them and England as us, 
and then the location set to Glasgow on, on their Twitter profiles. You know, it's just it's bizarre. It's childish. It's 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 just ridiculous. And they're playing to the playing to their base as Willie rightly points out. They're trying to score some staunch points uh, with the, the the sort of less cerebral of their fans. Uh, and absolutely 100%, they offered that to England. There's no way they didn't. Um, they, they, they've manipulated this situation. England could easily have trained in Newcastle, um, who got excellent training facilities, which is just a couple of hours down the road, um, and it's just typical of them. And to be honest with you, I feel a bit sorry for them, because when you can't get a bit of enjoyment out of your national team winning a game, if you can't feel that, I mean, I love it when Scotland win and I love it when Scotland succeed, although, you know, it doesn't happen very often. But those moments of success, those moments of wins, big wins and big and getting for getting to tournaments on the odd occasion we do, it's worth its weight in gold, particularly with the fact that we, we don't we don't succeed a lot. Um for them to, you know, to basically count themselves out of that is, you know, I feel sorry for them, to be honest. I'm more to be pitied than anything else. It's the same yeah. with the national anthem, isn't it? Like, you know, what I mean, it's a sporting rivalry. We us against England is one of the oldest rivalries in football, and we booed their national anthem. I don't see the English fans jumping up and down on the spot saying, "What have you done? That's disgusting." There's only one fan base that's making a noise about it, and it's them. It's like the old the old song goes, "No one likes us, we don't care, unless you insult our English overlords and His Royal Highness King Sausage Hands the first. Yeah, I was actually going to touch on that about the whole anthem thing because it's like you've got the, the, some of the stuff you're saying. It's like God Save the King now is the anthem for what Great Britain and also for England. And then you've got Scotland's anthem. So it's just all sorts of, in my opinion, it's just all over the place. But the fact of the matter is that the booing of the anthem, what would you expect? It happens everywhere. If you're playing your biggest rival and there's bad blood there, there's going to be some sort of reaction. But something I want to touch on quickly with the Murray Park thing before we push on to the actual game is Sevco spent how much money on strikers and players and everything this year? And they've all come in and now they've actually seen what real players look like in their stadium and their training ground. That's all I'm going to say. Is that something for them to just like Michael Michael Beale sitting there having a wet dream over looking at those guys on the um, out there on the pitch just – you know, going, oh, imagine if I could get these guys in. No chance. You broke. You got no money. You bought a bunch of duds. Couldn't you afford to get over to them? <laughs> I think we should point out that it's not Murray Park anymore. They, they've tried to airbrush that out of existence um, after naming their training complex after an industrial scale cheat. Um, <laughs> so they've changed it to the fantastically named Ockenhowie Training Complex right. now. So <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah. Did you Fully see the aware of that? I'll, carry uh, I'll keep calling it Murray Park just to piss him off. <laughs> Did you see the tweet? Um, the, the the guy, the, the Rangers fan, quoted the thing about them using their training ground, and he said um, all these English players would go down and tell all their mates how great the great the, the training facilities are, and they'd all be busting to come up and play for Rangers. <sighs> what would they go? Um... <laughs> <laughs> the gift yes. that keeps on giving. So, yeah, we had the game Scotland and England. Stephen, did you see it? What was your thoughts on the game? Yeah, I did see it, yeah. Look, I think you've got, you've got to take your medicine there. England are a, 
probably one of the top four or five teams in the world just now. They've got a lot of really good players, uh, really good young players, and um, they're just, just a better team in Scotland. It's, it's just as simple as that. We gave it a go. Um, I think it was a good atmosphere. I think it was a good, nice to see a full house uh, and it was a friendly, but at the end of the day, they're just a better team than us. And as Stevie Clark said after the game, that shows us the standard that we have to we have to try and achieve. Um, but you know, our big game, our big game over the over the past week was it was was the game in Cyprus, and we got the three points there. So we're now like a a, a, a millimeter away from qualifying for the Euro finals in Germany next year, and that's that's the main business for um, that's the main business for Scotland. So. Disappoint, always disappointing to lose to England, um, but they're, they're just a better team than us just now. It's just as simple as that. And Willie, what's your thoughts? That's Strange Love's comment. I am um, probably about true. I, I only saw the first 30 minutes. I had to head at the door and go to work. Um, England were looking really comfortable in that period. So Jude Bellingham and the, the other boy, I can't remember his name now, the guy up front, the two of them were just, they're a different level. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. The first goal, Bellingham and Foden up front. Foden, Foden up front with him. Yeah, the, the two of them are just first class players. Uh, the touch, and the touch, and uh, one touch movement between the two of them was just phenomenal. Right? And the first goal went in, and I had to, I had to go. I said, oh, "That's it." By the time I got to the end of the road, the second was scored. So I haven't really had a heart to watch the rest of it, knowing that we were going to lose. Like, you know, what I mean, I just mm. can't bring myself to bear the pain. So. Speaking Bellingham, Bellingham is on course for being one of the best players in the world. Ah, yeah, he really is. He's, he's, he's playing there at Real Madrid. He's, he's, he's playing really well for them. He's doing it for England. and um, Yeah, I think he's destined to be mentioned in the, in the same breath as some of the best players in the world. Definitely, like, definitely on his way to the top. Just seeing him at Dortmund last year was like, you tell you, it's, it's all about it then. So it's a pretty good production line they've had the last few years at Dortmund with you know, Bellingham before that, Haaland before that, there was a couple others as well. It's um yeah, decent player, that's all I've got to say. And um yeah, we'll get back to the Celtic chat. So we touched on this last week, I think it was. I can't remember if it was on last Thursday's one or if it was on um I think it was last Thursday. I know we spoke about something similar on Monday, but the team looks to have turned a bit the Celtic team to have Look like we turned a leaf. We're starting to get used to Brendan Rodgers' tactics. And like Calmat come out and said that after the Rangers game as well, that, you know, it was about taking a step back, getting used to the, the like the basic structure. And now we're looking at adding wrinkles and adding this is where you press, this is where you hold, this is where you run when you don't have the ball, this is where you run to get the ball. And they're starting to put those layers into the game and it started to look more fluid, especially in the first half against the Huns. So... I'm thinking with two more weeks on the training track, yes, not everyone would have been there because I think it was 11 players away on international duty or 13 players or something like that. Do you think this is a good launching pad for us, boys, like we've been, had a few weeks on the training track, a few more weeks to get used to working with the team, and then we're ready to jump into the next batch of the season where we're playing two games a week pretty much nonstop until Christmas. What do you think, Willie? Um, I, I wouldn't say we've hit top form just yet. The win at, um, at Ibrox was great, but we weren't exactly free-flowing there either. But hopefully it is the launching pad for the start for the rest of the season because 
if you clearly see that the things weren't quite clicking before, so that extra two weeks, like you say, Jared, could be invaluable to sit there on the training pitch and go through, even just go through walking drills and stuff like that to see who needs to be where and when they need to be and when who moves and when they move. It could make all the difference. Like a game against Dundee is another, another test. You might give some of the squad players who weren't away on international shoot yet a bit of a chance here too. So, um, but could see a couple of debuts later on in that game too, which we'll talk about. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But yeah, the reason I'm saying launching pad is it's okay. That's a starting point. We now know what it looks like. We saw it in the first half, and then it's progress every week. It's incremental games. Get better. Get better. Get better each game. So. That's what I that's what I was referring to on that. But what's your yeah. thoughts, Steve? Yeah, I think it's, I'm, I'm kind of nervous to be honest. I think um, the, the 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 one at Ibrox was great, but it was a very different type of game to what we'll face on Saturday, where we'll we'll come up against a low block again. Um, now, I I don't have any real fears that Brendan knows how to set up a team to to you know to get through a low block. Um, but the the only thing that's given me a little bit of the fear is. Uh, is the way we played in the, in the second half um, against St. Johnson, which was just awful. Um, if we play the way we did in the first half against St. Johnson, where we created plenty of chances, if we can maintain that over 90 minutes, then I think we'll be fine. Um, and I think one of the key things for that is our bench is going to be looking a lot stronger. So when we make changes around about the 60-minute mark, there's more chance that they're going to have a, a, a major impact on the game. Um, but in terms of being on the training ground, it was interesting to note that you know both the fullbacks, well, all the fullbacks would have been um, would have been there um, all, all, all the international breaks. So he's had plenty of time to work with the likes of Greg Taylor, plenty of time to work with uh, with Alistair Johnson, uh, Liam Scales should have been there as well if he, if he's going to get a game in the, in the centre of defence as well as Nat Phillips. So that's probably where the, the fullbacks is probably the, the most efficient position we've been um, up to now in the season. So hopefully we will see some some benefit of that extra time in the training game together, um, depending on who's playing at the weekend. Oh, dudes, we'll just jump straight into talking about the Dundee game on the weekend. We'll talk about it a lot earlier in the pod than we normally do, but we'll um, we'll just flow from that in that game and then we'll get talk about the European squad to finish the pod off. So... Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. Like, say about some debuts and stuff. So, you think Nat Phillips would be a chance to come in, make his debut for the club? So, my question to you, Willie, is: Do you think that Liam Scales will hold on to his starting centre back position after his performance in the derby, or do you think Nat Phillips will get that spot? Yeah, I think Nat Phillips will get a spot. And after discussing things with Stevie on Tuesday night, I think Lagerbjerg will start too because um, I think this, the team that will take to the field on, on, on Saturday will be largely the same team that's going to take to the field in Rotterdam to give them a, try and get them a bit of understanding together. Um, so in defence, it'll be Greg Taylor, Lagerbjerg, Phillips and Johnson for me. Yep, fair enough. What do you reckon, Stephen? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether he'll go with the Nat Phillips and Liam Scales, to be honest. Um Scales a left sided defender, he's left footed. Um and Nat Phillips plays mainly on the right, and so does so does Gustav Lagerbielka. So I have half a notion that he'll stick with Liam Scales at the back on the left side of the fence. Um I, look, I think Lagerbielka was was sort of the poorer of the two at Ibrooks. Although, you know, he sort of came on to a game in the second half and, and wasn't as shaky as he was in the first. But I think if you're looking at it on merit, 
then probably Scales deserves to keep his place. And I think the fact that he's he's left-sided, it will work in his favour here. But I definitely think, I noticed they put um, Nat Phillips up for the pre-match uh, interviews today. Um, so I certainly think I can expect him. You can expect him to make his debut tomorrow without a doubt. And I, th- I just think it maybe be Lagabiel could it, that gets left out. Fair enough. Well, Andrew Galea's asked a question here. Do we play the 11 we'll use against Feyenoord? So what do you reckon, Willie? And who would be your starting 11 if that's the case? I I said it there now. I think it will largely be the same team that heads over to Rotterdam to start. So the starting 11 for me would be Hart, Taylor, Lagerbelka, Phillips, Johnson, McGregor, O'Reilly, Hatati, Mieda, Young, and Kiobo. I'd also like to see um, Palmer get a bit of game time on the pitch. And um, I think we'll go out there and we'll try and kill this game off early. And that's I'm predicting a 4 0 win with Kiobo to score first. So that's my predictions for Saturday. What about you, Stephen? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much the same as Willie, only if you swap, I think Skilled will, will get the nod in front of Lagerbielka, but apart from that, I would agree with, with the rest of the team, and I do think that will be the team that starts in, in Rotterdam. Um, I, I would like to see, like Willie, I would like to see Palma get a game, I'd like to see Bernardo get a game, uh, and I'd like to see um, Home get a game as well, so all, all these guys... And ideally, you'd like to see rotated through the midfield to get them all some game time. Um, it'd be interesting to see if Iwata makes it on the bench uh, and gets a bit of game time as well. Because if he goes to if he goes to Rotterdam with a double pivot and um, to play a sort of more uh, defensive type of game, then he'll, he'll want to get some game time into Iwata's legs. So that'll be interesting to see as well. But um, I think um, I want to see all these guys getting debuts. All these guys played big minutes away for their international teams. So there shouldn't be any concerns about match fitness. Um, they should all be ready to go. Uh, Bernardo played 290 minutes. Palmer played 190 minutes. Um, and, and Oden Holm played part of, part of two games off the bench for Norway's under-21. So um, they should be match fit and ready to go. So I hope to see them like Wally. I hope we get this game put together fairly early uh, and we can rotate through the midfield in the second half. Yep, I'm going to bring up some comments before I give my lineup. So, Andrew Galea saying Lagerbelka has games under his belt before he came. Scales not so. RL seventy seven. Can people stop reminding me that we're probably going into the Champions League with Taylor and Scales as the left side of our defence? Michael Ross, ex-final coach, says Celtic are tactically childish, childish, and dismisses us as any sort of challenge. Which coach was that, Michael? Can you let us know in the comments because I'd love to know who said that. Was it Van Nistelrooy or was it someone? No, he was a PSV. Was it? I don't know who that would have been. Um, Mahesh, hopefully Rogers has learnt the lesson of St. Johnston and the mids will push harder onto Dundee and higher ball speed of movement in the final third. Strange love the doctor. I would heavily rotate having had two weeks to prepare. I have complete confidence in any of our players to be able to put in the performance against Dundee. You bloody well hope so, wouldn't you? John, John Clements, I think it's more likely to be Phillips and Lagerbelka. Big Gus is better equipped to play in Rotterdam, so they'll need 90 minutes playing together. That's why I brought up the comments, because that's what I'm thinking as well. Michael Ross is saying it has to be Lager and Phillips. And Anaheim ducks across the pond. I'm sick of hearing people slate we Taylor. We are up. We are too up and down on players too quickly. I'm a fan of Taylor domestically. 
But in Europe, I think we need someone like an Alistair Johnson type to come in and challenge him for that position to raise his levels. But he is a decent player for us domestically, Europe. I just worry that we're too small if we have him on on that side. He'll get targeted like he did last year with the long diagonal ball over the top. But understand your point there. So for me, my starting lineup, pretty simple. Hart and goals, Taylor, Phillips, Lagerbelka, Johnson. In the middle of the park, this is the spot. Bernardo, I'd hope to see him, but if he's played two lots of 90 during the during the break, I'm thinking he'll get he'll be rotated, come off the bench. I think home will do the same. I don't want Taylor to not Taylor, sorry, Turnbull to start in the middle of the park. I'm like McGregor, O'Reilly, Hatade. I want to see those three back together again. And then up front, there's one position that's questionable. You have Maeda on the left, you'll have Kyogo in the middle. It's who plays on the right with a barter out. And the question for that will be who will it be? Will it be Yang or will it be um, Palmer? Which one will it be? More than likely it'll be Yang from what we've seen so far. But then Palmer's gone and played a full 90 minutes on international duty, so he's got a bit of run in his legs as well. So I think the two question marks are the centre-back pairing and the and the right winger more than anything. So, and score prediction, Willie, what are you thinking? I think you already said it, didn't you? Yeah, 4-0, Kyogo, first goal. Stephen, what's your score prediction? Yeah, yeah, I'd like I'd like that to be two, but I think it may be a little bit tighter than that. I'm going to go for three one. Um, I think we're still we're still got a few issues to work out at the back, so I can, I can see us conceding, but but hopefully we'll get at least three goals out of this game to 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 get our get our goals 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 plus column moving in the right direction. So I'm thinking there's going to be a massive overcorrection based on us getting you know a couple of goals you know, chalked off at Ibrox. So, you know, that they scored that weren't given. So I'm thinking we're going to cop some VAR shenanigans and we'll do it 4-2 because they're going to do the whole overcorrection. So, see, it happens to Celtic too, which we see from Scottish refs. So um, 4-2, Maeda will score first, but he, we won't score till about the 40th, 40th, 40th minute sort of thing onwards. But at the end of the day, it's about picking up three points and keeping that gap on um over Rangers. Because are they playing Friday? Are they playing Saturdays or are they playing Sundays? Because of they should be Sundays uh, the rest I, of the week because of Europe, right? I think they're playing. I think they're playing start the lunchtime. I think so. They're playing before us. I think. I think they're playing St Johnson on um, Saturday right, at midday. Yeah, so I midday um, kickoff though. Yeah. So um, th- I think this will be one of the only times um in the next few months that they're playing before us. Um, but 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 this this week they definitely are. Um, interesting to see so many people picking Lagerbielka at the back, um, considering he was he was quite shaky. Um, Ibrooks. Um, I'm interested to know you know why people think he'll be any better in, in Rotterdam, um, and I don't really I don't love the idea of skills there as many people are pointing out at, at the back. But we're, we're not we're not really awash with options. Um, so I'd be interested to know why you know why Lagerbielka is getting so many votes for for a starting place. I can give you my reason, Stephen, if you want. Yeah, yeah. Reason for, me. reason, reason for me is Scales gives us more versatility off the bench. Like 
if you have to make a sub at centre-back, he can come on and you can put him in the left centre-back and then you've got someone else to man the right spot. If Taylor's getting targeted and you need a bit more size and physicality at left-back, he can do that job too when he's six foot. So he can play that position. So having him there, he covers two spots, which is what's going to help us because especially for Europe with Bernabe not in the European squad, which we're going to talk about next, that becomes a factor. He's covering positions. So that's for me why part of why I put him on the bench. But the other reason is Lagerbalka and was linked with us and also Ajax. So you've got a big club in Holland looking at him, coming in for him. We got him. He's the sort of player that if he's being looked at by a club of that stature in that league, then it's not just us who has identified that there's a quality player there. It's one of the cream of the crop clubs for development in Holland. So for me, if you're playing against the Dutch champions and you've got a player who was also linked with a club who's traditionally one of the top clubs in Holland and he's halfway through a season, he's match fit, you've put those two factors together of, okay, he's match fit, he's also looked at and he's got the pedigree there and then you've got scales on the bench covering two positions. It just ticks a lot more boxes for me. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, maybe worthwhile pointing out also though that Ajax paid twenty one million pound for Calvin Bastien. So I, I'm not convinced uh, we should be. I'm not convinced we should be using him in the bench as a benchmark uh, of what a good defender looks like. Surely they've sacked that defensive scout by now. Like. Surely, surely to God, yeah, yeah. There we go. We've got some comments here as well. So Andrew Glay, one game doesn't make scales a player. Is that? Uh, Michael Ross with the comment on who the manager was. Uh, DeMoss brand Celtic childish and says we'll be the same as Rangers. Mickey Moynihan, Lager has the acceleration of a Vauxhall Viva. And then Strange Loves Ajax were looking at big Gustav as Bassi replacement, mainly because Gustav can play football. And John Clement says, Scales was suited to the Huns punting long balls and crosses. Lager Belki is a better footballer, in my opinion. So, um, yeah, we'll crack on to the Champions League list. So I was going to try and bring it up on the screen, but I kind of accidentally shut that tab down now, so I don't know where it's gone. So I'll just go off my phone So. say, we listed, and this is from the UEFA website, so our current squad that we've listed is a goalkeeper. We've got Hart and Bain. Defenders, we've got uh, Alistair Johnson, Greg Taylor, Gustav Lagerbelke, Liam Scales, Nat Phillips, Cameron Carter, because they've listed Hatate on the UEFA website as a defender instead of a midfielder. They've got Ralston's on there and Welsh. Then in the midfield, we've got Palmer. Kyogo's a midfielder on this website, apparently. Abada's a midfielder, Yang, Home, Awada, Bernardo, O'Reilly, McGregor, and Forrest. And then as the forwards, this is for a chuckle, they've got Mikey Johnson, Dezimada, O, and Turnbull as a forward. So whoever's put that in, they've probably got the work experience kid to enter it in, I reckon. But there's the whole factor of you have to have a minimum of eight association or homegrown players factored in, right? So... When picking the squad, the association trained players that we have in our squad are Bain, Taylor, 
and Turnbull. The Celtic trained players are Ralston, Welsh, McGregor, Forrest, and Mikey Johnson. So that's how we covered off the eight that um that we had there to cover that criteria. Now that means that there was some players left out. So what we'll do is I'll get your overall opinion first up on the squad there, Stephen. But Bernabe's been left out, along with Roski's been left out, Tilio's been left out, and one who's been left out. So what's your thoughts on the squad? Yeah, I think it, it sort of highlights how um, how poor the work transfer window went for us. Um, the fact that we've got glaring holes, when you see it laid out in paper in front of you, and we've only really named one out-and-out left-back in our Champions League squad, and we've named two goalkeepers, uh, and one of them is Scott Bain. Um, then you know, I think that shows you where things went went off the rails completely. I think Bernabe, although I, I don't I don't rate him as a player, and I don't think he's got a long term future at Celtic. I think he's been a bit unlucky in that he's fallen foul of this homegrown players rule, um, and I think it ultimately came down to a choice between him and Scales, and the fact that Scales can play centre half. And we've got a you know a lot of centre halves missing with injuries, sort of tipped the scales, if you pardon the pun, uh, in his favour. Um, so I think if we, I think you'd find if we had a load of centre halves fit, um, then I don't think scales would have made the squad in Burnaby probably would have. Uh, but just the fact that, that that we don't, and I think that's what um, that's what cost Burnaby slot. Uh, apart from that, Navroski missing out is disappointing. I think that sort of tells us is I'm not expecting him to play much football uh, this side of Christmas, probably. Um, and that's why they've left him out. Uh, and the same probably goes for Tilio. Um, I think that Tilio's injuries probably, I think he's probably, according to, to Rogers, he's back training again, but he's a long way from being match fit because he's missed his entire pre-season. So he's got all that to squeeze in. So I think the same goes for him. I don't think you'll see much of Tilio before Christmas. And um, I think that's why he's been left out of the squad. Quan kind of speaks for itself. Um, he, he's not looked up to it in the minutes he's been given in the preseason friendly. So I wasn't expecting him to be named. Um, and guys like Forrest and Turnbull, you know, ideally you wouldn't like to see them in there, but they're there because they're, um, they're homegrown players and they fulfil that criteria. So, like, it's, it's a bit, it's a bit of a reality check when you look at it laid out in front of you. Yeah, is I mean the Narowski one's the one that sort of raised my eyebrow, but that just sort of signals to me that his injury might be a bit more severe than we first thought because we're all kind of thinking he would back halfway through the, the Champions League group stages. So I'm trying, I'm starting to think he might not see Christmas uh, football again until about Christmas time. So, but I'm not really shocked at Kobayashi and Bernie Bernabe not making the cut. Neither of them have really set the header on fire this season, and Bernabe's performance at Ibrox was a little bit concerning. So. And that's against a bang average Sevco side. Can you imagine what he his if he starts playing that sort of if he starts to play that sort of way in the Champions League, we'll just get rinsed down that left hand side. But other than that, I think then um, I think the selection is pretty straightforward. It speaks for itself. But as you say, Stevie, it kind of there's a lot of holes in that squad that you look at and you think, oh my god, what 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 are we doing with this? I mean, especially as Scott Bain as backup goalkeeper, right? you know, what I mean. Joe Hart, I mean, if he goes to put his hand at a thunderbolt at a shot and 
somebody breaks his finger, that's it. You've got Scott Ben as your your first pick goalkeeper. It doesn't really fill you with much confidence, like. Alistair Johnson will jump in goals because he's nuts. <laughs> just uh, he just uh, do whatever, like you know. What I mean? Yeah, Kyogo would probably do it, like. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this is bad. Is I rattled off who wasn't in the squad. And I completely forgot about Kobayashi. That's yeah. pretty bad. Yeah, I, I forgot about him as well. But I mean, again, who's you, you're not picking Kobayashi in the squad? Um, no. You know, he's been that, he's been pretty yeah. awful, to be yeah. honest. That homegrown rule really hampers us. I mean, we could have other players in there who are who could make a difference to us, but in the end, you've got to pick Mikey Johnson and Scott Bain. Whereas if you're in England, you might have like uh, we've got plenty options in Man City. They'll have Jack Grealish and players like that who can just sit on the bench or, or get first team football. They're, they quite easily meet their criteria. Whereas we're we're hampered due to the size of our, our country. It does. I. It's, hopefully, this route. Somebody's challenging, and hopefully, it'll, they'll win it. Like because it is. It is a, a, a hindrance to us. Like. Yeah, yeah so I think it's worth pointing out as well that the, the all the young kids in the in the B squad are also eligible. Uh, the list of the B list players. So, um, likes of Rocco Vata, uh, likes of Mitchell Frame that that, that signed an extension. Um, these guys are all eligible to play, so I wouldn't rule out seeing some of these guys at least making it onto the bench in some of these games. Um, and uh, you know, I, I know Mitchell Frames a left back, so that's at least something another left back there that you could pick in an emergency. I had that on my phone ready to go, Stephen. I was looking <laughs> Sorry, something up while you and Billy were talking. <laughs> so I was looking when the um when the list had to be surrendered. I put in by who has to be on list day. So you've got to have twenty five players on list day during the season of which two must be goalkeepers. As a minimum, eight of those players are reserved exclusively for locally trained players, and no club may have more than four association trains of those eight. So you've got to be a minimum four and four of those eight, where we're three association and five club trained. Uh, your list B, just what you just touched on, was your list B player is any player born on or after 1st of January 20, no, sorry, 2002 has been eligible to play for the club, concerned for uninterrupted period of two years since his 15th birthday by the time he registered with UEFA, or a total of three consecutive years for a maximum of one loan period to a club from the same association of a period not longer than one year. So basically scales would count on our list B because he's been with us first year and then he got loaned and now this year is his third year. So he would classify on list B as well potentially depending on his birthday. So that's the one thing I'm not sure on under the age of 21, isn't he? So he could be touch and go on that. But then the question is, can clubs change their squads again this season, which was one of the questions because of Abada's injury. So can we replace Abada? And the answer is, as Mickey said, not until the next round if you progress. So you can't change your squad until you get through the knockout stage. And then ahead of the round, and then ahead of the round of sixteen, clubs can register a maximum of three new players. So there you go. So that's what where we're at with the squad there. So for me, yeah, there's a few spots. I'd hope you know, Mitchell Frame will probably come into the scheme of things, but I've got some comments here which tie in as well. So like Andrew Glare, with only one left back, we might. You're going to play a back three. 
Mickey's on the same thing, maybe a back three. Michael Ross shows the transfer window was a joke. Okay. A back three with two defensive win-backs, park the bus. Really poor squad management, and this goes back years. So there's there's a fair bit going on there. Um, yeah, at the end of the day, we'll just have to uh, yeah figure it out and see what happens, but it's going to be a bit of a doozy. Hope we can uh, – let's go the old Real Madrid style from back in the, um, you know, the old Galactico days. If you we used to say this about Andrew's style, but in the Champions League, we've got to look at it. If we're going to concede four, we've got to score five. <laughs> we can either park the bus and do that, or we can go out and just go crazy like this. Michael Ross, we could and should have bought Hickey. Even Josh Deutsch would have done something as well. I'm absolutely in agreement about that, about Hickey. Um, and I think that goes to a uh, a general point about how we allow far too much Scottish talent to, to disappear out the country. Um, and I think there's a, there's a certain amount of snobbery uh, amongst ourselves. I noticed, I can't remember who it was, they were talking about that Lauren Shankland uh, and why Celtic and Rangers haven't made a bid for him. And I'm not really sure about him, but the likes of Aaron Hickey, um, he was in our youth system. Uh, we sold him a heart, we released him a hearts. He did okay, he did pretty well at hearts. Uh, and at that point, we definitely could have bought him back for less than you paid for Burnaby. Um, and then he's gone to he's gone to Italy, uh, and he's back in EPL now. And he, he, now we couldn't afford him, so that's a, that's a major mistake. And I think it's something we need to we need to have a good look at because we're letting far too many of these players go overseas, and they're they're, they're carving out good careers for themselves in other countries. It's worse than that, Stephen. It's not just what, what you know. We could have gone back for less than we got Burnaby. You've got to go back further because we had Tierney. Tierney moves on. We ball on golly money wasted. And then you've got Bernabe as well. So there's two. What's that, about £6 million spent between the two of them? There you go. And there was another, there was another young fullback. Was it Max Lowe is his name? The, the boy that went from Motherwell? Can't remember his second name. His first name was Max. He was a fullback. Went from Motherwell to a team in Austria. I think it was Sturm Graz. Yeah. Um, and then he was another one, very highly rated, and we were apparently interested in him. But we, you know, we missed out because he obviously didn't see any any first team opportunities at Celtic. But um, it's definitely something that I definitely regret is not seeing in Hickey. It's not just that though, as well, Stephen. It's also that, and this is. The thing, it's the pathway that breaks down from our youth team from 16 years old through to the age of 20 at the club where all those players can now sign professional terms and they end up going to Germany, going to down in England, going to Belgium, going wherever. It's those guys. And then the ones who stayed don't get a chance to break into the first team because we're in such win-now mode at senior level that we're going for 10 in a row at the time. We're going – now we're trying to keep winning and re-establishing – get that straight in a Champions League spot that we don't really play the guys. And that's why we're having problems with guys like Rocco at the moment. Like, is he going to sign a new contract? Why would you want to if you're not going to play? So well, that's, it. Just... that's it. And the, the Rocco Vata situation just sums it up perfectly. And we've got a player there who it showed up, for me anyway, showed up quite well in some games last year in the minutes he got. And what have we done over the summer? We've got to sign two players to play in the same position he's playing. And then we wonder why 
we wonder why he wants he wants to leave. It doesn't make any sense. It, it wouldn't it make sense. Um, it doesn't make any sense. And the fact that we are now turning down bids from other teams, from other overseas teams who want to take him, teams in Italy who obviously see potential in him, uh, and we're asking him to sign a new contract. Well, I tell you right now, if if I was if I was uh, Rocco Vata's parents or his or his agent, I would tell him to get out of there because he's he's not going to get any game time. Maybe he might be in with a little bit of a stuff now that Abad is out long term. Um, but th- that doesn't seem like a team who's invested in Rocco Vata uh, when they go and sign two players, as you say, same age, same position. That's just a roadblock to his career development. And we had the same issue with Ben Doak as well. Andrew Galea, no reserve league. And then Mahesh, I think Vata has bigger fish to fry than Celtic. Yeah, but so did, um, what was his bloody name? Karamoko thought the grass would be greener by going to uh, going to France, and look what's happened to him. He's now about Hull on loan. What was the guy who went to Chelsea all those years ago as well? There's no Farouz. Yeah, there you go. So it's not always greener, but the problem is we need a, a, a pathway. Like the perfect club, like when you're talking about the Hickey situation, I mentioned Ajax earlier, and I don't like them as a fan base. I think they're a bunch of feral bastards, but I respect their youth development program that they've got. Also, what the Red Bull system has, and these sort of clubs with what they do and the way they bring their players through. Like, there's players that um, I was trying to remember who it was, but there was some centre back we were linked with years ago, probably when Lenny was in charge. Um, after the whole shower incident happened, right? And Lenny had come in and we're looking at his centre-back and the, we looked at him and it was like, we're quoted two and a half, three million. I remember this story because I thought it was pretty funny, but it was three million we were quoted, but then Ajax went and got him for like a million. And you're like, how did that happen? Because they had a 50% so on. So basically, if they paid the three million, one and a half that's coming back to them. So they avoided it. So they put him cheaper and avoided some of that. So it was just ridiculous. Like that's something we should be doing. Like we got a good youth academy. If players want to go to like Dunfermlands and to your Hibs and to wherever. Great. You look at the team list most weekends, and pretty much every club in their in their squad, someone from the starting lineup through the bench has an ex Celtic player or ex Celtic youth player in their squad. So anytime we release a player or sell them to these other clubs, we should be having a um some sort of buyback clause or some sort of thing there. But um, Anaheim Ducks across the ponds put in Leverkusen, I think are called the factory due to the amount of players they produce. We really need to do the same. Exactly. But the problem is it's that gap. Once you hit 16, you can sign professional contract. What's the pathway look from 16 to 20? Because that's where we're losing these guys. Well, you, you've got to show them that there's both team football opportunities. You've got to show them that, that if they if they perform well, that then, then it's there for them, because up to now it's not been there, um, and it's as simple as that. And then we're we're going to continue to lose these young kids. Um, and I'm very 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 happy to see Mitchell Frame extending his contract because he's a highly rated young left, left back, and it's something we desperately need. Um, but that he's he's been he's bucked the trend really because everyone has been looking elsewhere. Um, because there's just no pathway there. So somebody has to get an opportunity in the first team um, to show these kids that that, that is there for them if they they get their head down and work hard. And I hope, hopefully that opportunity is coming for Frame this year. 
Mm. Even Tierney, Tierney really got his breakthrough because there was no one else with the injuries and stuff. So we look at Tierney, we put him up on a pedestal. Oh, yeah, he came through the youth academy and he's worth $25 million. We run him into the ground. He's been broken down and struggling with injuries. He played so much football, but he got his chance at age 16 because we had no other options. Willie, you got anything to add? It's just no, but like you say, there's no pathway for them. They get they get to the 18 years of age. They get a professional contract put in front of them and they're told, right, you sign that and we'll put you in the Lowland League. The Lowland League's no standard of football for them to be playing at. Um, it, it's, it's not great. And then they see, oh, there's an offer from uh, Chelsea, under 23s. You'll go and play in the reserve leagues in England. You'll get your chance to train with some of the best players in the world. It's a no-brainer for them, you know. What I mean, I mean, Lowland League or playing against some some of the top talent of their age group. I, I, I know which I know which choice I would be making. Like you know, what I mean, it's I love Celtic with all my heart, but you got to think of their own careers. You know, what I mean, plus the money that the English teams are probably or these other German teams that are coming in from are going to be often is going to be double what Celtic can give them. Like so, just one example of this, Willie, is Man City players that we've signed from them. Guys like Paddy Roberts that they bought for what was it twelve million from, you know, from Fulham and put him into their reserve system before he came to us for a couple of years. Olivier and Cham, Dedrick Boyada, um, Jeremy Fringpong came from there. Fringpong, there's another one. There's five off the top of our heads. It's just come from that system. Not everyone is coming from a Matt O'Reilly sort of thing where he was at a Premier yeah. League club drop back down the divisions to get first-team football to get his move to us. And when he's made that move, because he did it at that young age, he's ready to play straight from the go. That's what we're missing. Like, we've got a comedy from Michael Ross. Our youth setup is pointless. It's $3 million a year, I think, it costs the club, and we're not really getting anything from it. Um, Strange the doctor said, I agree with Stephen on this. The squad ideally should have two top players fighting it out for first team to start and then supported by a youth potential for the third and fourth. We need a director of football with long-term KPIs. I kept saying it's the it's the conveyor belt that we need. We need to have the starting quality guy. We need to have their replacement underneath them challenging and developing. So when, say, for instance, if we were to talk about, oh, let's pick a random player and go, oh, Jesus, let's go Hatate, for instance. Tade starts, we know more likely in the season he's going to get a move. So we sign someone to come in underneath him like home, for instance, to develop for that next 12 months. So when Tade moves on, home's ready to go straight in the starting lineup and play. And then ideally, as you're saying, they're strange. Love, we have someone from the youth academy coming in to be that replacement player, that new second stringer to develop underneath home the following season. It's the best way it should work. But, you know, common sense. Listen, the, the B team needs to be able to get promoted. The, that ceiling they have at the Lowland League is too low a bar. And that, that ceiling that they have set needs to be in the Championship. They need to be able to rise and get, get relegated if need be from the Championship down to Division 1. Fair enough. But they, they need to set the bar and say, look, they can go all the way up to the Championship if need be. That's what all the big teams in Europe do. That's why they have production lines that are just, wheel, just wheeling off player after player after player after player. Scotland... It's a close shot. You've got 42 clubs who have their position in the league and they're not prepared to budge on it. And I'm doing stuff for a deeper dive and I'll maybe go into a little bit more of it with Stevie one one, one of these weeks pretty soon. But I, I, it's the whole structure of the system. 
for the B team, it's not working, and that's why we're not getting any sort of product out of it. So I'll bring up a couple of comments here, and then we'll go to you, Stephen. So Andrew Glare talking about the reserve league. Imagine Vada and his mates playing alongside Awada and Ralston. Then you've got the old idea to loan them out. Smell the gloves got a good idea. There should be a permanent European under twenty ones league. Even if it was us in the in the clubs in the lowlands over there, like um the low countries like Belgium, Holland, Danish clubs, the old Atlantic League that was spoken about, even if it was a bunch of them with all their youth and under twenty ones playing in the same league, at least it's a better pathway than the lowland league. Andrew's like our fringe senior players need somewhere to play as much as our youth do. Yeah, like if we got Kobayashi coming over, learning a new country, he needs to get used to playing football in Scotland. If he's not going to be able to play in the reserve league, that'd get him up to speed quicker. And then Pete McGee's coming in. Butter plays in the national level for the under twenty ones. Dope gets a run out with Liverpool, yet we hardly ever played these young guys, and that is the issue. But. You got any last things about the Colts set up there, Stephen, before we just finish off our European thing? I've got a couple of questions for you and then we'll wrap the podcast up. No, I mean, I think I think Celtic need to be driving this a lot harder. Um, at the end of the day, we're the biggest club in the country and we've got the most money in the country. So, so we should have the biggest influence in what happens here. And the tail seems to be wagging the dog an awful lot. Um, and I would be quite happy if, if, if Celtic... Because a lot of teams like gave up the reserve teams because they didn't have the money to keep them to keep them going, didn't have the money to to take them to away games. But for me, the SPFL should be addressing this. And even if the SPFL set up some kind of fund um, where the the bigger clubs contribute more than the smaller clubs, and they use that uh, use that money to fund the reserve league, uh, because that's that's where we're falling down. Not just with the youth players, but with our fringe players as well. No, nobody's getting game time. People are just sitting on the bench and not getting any better. Guys like Quan, you know, when's he going to get a game of football? It'll be, it could be months before he gets a full game of football, but he can be playing every week in a reserve league. And I think the onus is on ourselves and to a lesser extent, Sevco, uh, to, to, you know, to, to try and start pushing for this. Uh, and to be fair to them, I think they've pulled their team out the the lower league. Um, so they've obviously identified that it's just a complete and utter waste of time. Um and we need to we need to come up with a suitable alternative because the current status quo is just a, a piece of nonsense. Just an idea popped in on my head, and this is quite dangerous when I have random thoughts. But you know, we talk about bringing back the the, the reserves, and clubs can't afford it. Well, how about we look at, especially now we've got the guaranteed Champions League spot, right? Based off the country coefficient, I'm sure there's money coming in at the country coefficient, not the club ones that could come into the SPFL instead to be funded out to, to, to fund this reserves league. Like, that's a way to do it. So it doesn't matter if it's us, if it's Sevco, if it's Hearts, if it's Aberdeen, whatever, playing in whatever three levels of European football, whatever money comes into these clubs at the, at the country coefficient thing, then that needs to filter in to pay for the reserve league. You either do that or, yeah, as, as you guys have said, Allowed B teams promotion. You've got to be one or the other. But, you know, what we know, we're just over the other side of the world talking absolute shite on a podcast. So <laughs> we're not the people down the road at Hampton making the decision. So what I want to know, Willie, is who name three players who you think will be major players for us in Europe this season. 
once you've named it, then Stephen, I want you to jump in with three as well that you think will be main main players for us. Kyogo, Phillips, and McGregor. Stephen, what are you thinking? Yeah, I'm thinking Kyogo as well. I think he's got a big he's got a big challenge in front of him. Um, I think that's all that's separating him uh, from being probably nailed on as being the best striker we've had since Larson. Uh, is a few good European performances. Um, Matt O'Reilly is one I'm really looking for to, to step up, uh, and I think he will. Uh, and I, I agree with Willie. I think Nat Phillips will be a, a mainstay for us at the back to the point where um, I'd be looking for Celtic to to make that deal permanent in, in the January transfer window, if at all possible. The only one I'd add on top of that is, for me, it's Alistair Johnson. It's the only other one. Like you guys have touched on all the other ones I'm thinking of, but yeah, I think Alistair Johnson will be a, a key player for us, especially if we're trying to hit on the counter attack in Europe with his work rate both going both ways on the field. I think that's going to, you know, open things up for us big time. So yeah, he's the one I'm looking forward to the most. You already hit the others like Cal Mack, O'Reilly, Kyogo, Maeda, the usual names and suspects and that there, and Phillips and all that. But, yeah, for me, Alistair Johnson. Well, I think we'll uh, we'll start wrapping the pot up. So thanks to everyone for tuning in. If you're watching on YouTube and you haven't done so, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell so you get the notif- notification every Monday and Thursday when we go live and you also get notifications whenever any random pods come out like the, the weekend review, any deep dives, any Tim talks, any of that stuff comes out, you also get notified. Um, do us a favor on YouTube as well. Hit the like thing. It helps us in the algorithm. If you're listening on your podcast, like it, share it around. Appreciate each and everyone's support of the podcast. And um, we'll go some final thoughts to finish the pod. So, Willie, your final thought? Um, no real final thoughts for me. I'm just wanting to get the Celtic Dundee game on, get back to domestic football. So, Stephen, your final thought? Yeah, I finally got around to watching Ted Lasso on Apple TV. Um, I'm into season two now, and I can thoroughly recommend it. I'm completely hooked. So if you're thinking about watching it, give it a, give it a watch. My final thought is I don't know much about the guy, but Hamza Youssef smirking while the Tartan Army booed God Save the King. Slow clap. <laughs> Go, Hamza. Brilliant. Uh, Good job. All right, everyone, thanks for uh, tuning in. I'll speak to you next week. Hail, hail, and hopefully we get the win on the weekend. Hail, hail. Hail, hail, folks. Sports Social Podcast Network.